Hello everyone, it's Amber Love, and welcome to another episode of Vodka O'Clock Podcast from AmberUnmasked.com. You can support the show and my work by going to Patreon.com slash AmberUnmasked, and um, it's really super helpful that you do that. And also, I haven't mentioned it in a while, but if you've read any of my books, just please go over to Amazon and leave some stars and a nice little review that uh, really helps people that are also looking for similar books to know that you have some confidence behind my work. So please go do that. Thank you so much. And joining me today, uh, I'm so excited because we've got a comic book team here. Well, we've got like the the first line of the, the platoon anyway. We've got Dave Costa and Erica Schultz. We're going to be talking about comics, their incredibly gruesome new series that's out, and their upcoming projects. So guys, welcome. Hi. Thanks for having us. My pleasure. So um, we're going to mostly be talking about 12 Devils Dancing um, because this is the day that we are recording this. I just have to throw this out there. It, uh, there was just groundbreaking news hitting on Twitter that the serial killer from Michelle McNamara's book was actually finally caught. Unfortunately, it's after she died and put all this work into her book and everything. The Golden State Killer. Golden State Killer has finally apparently been arrested. Yes, the Golden State Killer slash original Night Stalker. Yeah. Uh, I mean, just such a, I, I haven't read the book. I'm too, I'm too afraid to read the book um, <laughs> because just listening to the, my favorite murder podcast was scary enough. Um, I, I don't think I can handle the details of the book. Maybe, you know, maybe if Netflix does something like they did with um, uh, the making of a murderer guy, if they, if, if Netflix does something like that, maybe I'll, I'll sit down and, and absorb it during the day you know, in chunks and just, yeah, with the sun out in chunks with a bowl of ice cream or something. Um, so 12 devils dancing, uh, like I said, is, it was alarmingly gruesome, but, um, you know, thank you. (laughs) That's all Dave. Dave told me, he's like, look, I draw horror all the time. I was like, okay. Well, you know. good, good. I, I do want to, let, let's just uh, give a, a running shout out to the rest of the team, if you will, because um, actually the way that it's, is it being released by issue or in trade automatically? Um, basically, it's going to be released in print. It, we're going to do two volumes. So volume one is going to be issues one, two, and three, and volume two is going to be four, five, and six. And then it'll come out in a compendium trade. Digitally, it will be released as individual issues. Okay, cool. So let's um, yeah. let's run through your the rest of your team, if you will, Erica. Give give everybody's name proper cred. Um, well, we've got uh, Andrew Kovalt, who is the colorist, who I'm so glad that Dave actually likes as a colorist. Uh, <laughs> Andrew is uh, usually an animator and colorist, um, and I worked with him on the Astonishing X Men Motion comic. And he was a colorist for that. And he's just phenomenal. So uh, we have him doing colors. We have Cardinal Ray doing letters. And we had uh, Kevin Mahar do our very cool logo. Awesome. And you've got some great cover artists as well. Um, yes. which at first I thought they were variants. And then I was like, oh, wait, this is three issues. So, um, you know, Kelly Williams on the first one, as soon as I saw that name, I was like, oh, man, that's a perfect fit. 
Yes, we got Kelly Williams. We've got uh, Maria Sanapo, who worked with me on Charmed, who did like a very Drew Struzan inspired cover. Um, Adriana Mello, who is currently working on Plastic Man. Um, she did a cover for us. And then for the second volume, we have Natasha Altarici, who did a crazily like scary, gruesome cover. Uh, I've got, uh, we got uh, Michael Montanat, who also did a great cover. And then Kevin Maher, who's the logo designer, did a very Saul Bass inspired graphic cover for, uh, for issue six. Wild. Yeah, I haven't seen Mike's work in a, in a while. He's incredibly talented. Yes. Um, that's great. Uh, and so we're, 12 Devils Dancing is coming out through Action Lab, correct? Yes, Action Lab Danger Zone, which is their mature. Yes. Because this is definitely mature. Not, not the all ages imprints. No. 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 Princeless will be on a completely separate table. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so what was the inspiration for, for writing about this? This Well, it's, it's a mystery for the protagonist, but as the reader and the audience, we actually get to see what's happening and, and who the perpetrator is. So what was the inspiration for taking on that 1980s scary cult scene and, and doing a serial killer around that? Because I mean, I, for me, the eighties was everybody was afraid of satanic cults mm-hmm. and heavy metal and stuff. And so you've twisted it around in, in this story. So how, where did you come up with that well i mean every, every you're you're right i mean there was a satanic panic of the 70s and 80s and you know judas priest and all that um and the the other side of that is that i think those are the the cults and stuff that really get uh, a lot of press for lack of a better term but if you think about jim jones jim jones kept you know originally he was all pushing things about like how he's christianity and stuff um and i think that any um, zealotry, whether it's with an organized religion or not, or, you know, even you see it in fandom, people just going insane about stuff. You know, it's, there's, there's a tipping point in your brain, and I think some people just go over the edge. Um, cults, to me, are very interesting. Um, the psychology of cults are interesting. The fact that a lot of these cult leaders are um, master manipulators, you know, they find people that are um, marginalized. They find people that are um, emotionally, either emotionally immature or feel as if the world doesn't understand them and says, oh, but I'll understand you and and sort of brings them in. I mean, you look at what was on the news yesterday, that actress from Smallville. Yes, Allison who's Mack. Been, yeah. Who's apparently part of, you know, some crazy cults too, you know, this idea of, of finding people that feel like they don't fit in and saying, no, 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 you fit in. And, uh, and then once you have them, they sort of have this, you know, warm, fuzzy feeling. And then once they got the warm, fuzzy feeling, you can do anything you want. I mean, there's actually a line in there where, uh, the character Aisha says, you know, I call it stray cat syndrome. You take a cat off the street, you treat them nice a little bit, and then you let it, you can walk all over them. Right. And that's kind of like how these cults sort of work, you know, people allowing themselves to be manipulated simply because they want to feel like they're a part of something. Yeah. I um, find, I find it interesting too. I know a, a, like, um, 
you know, besides the real nonfiction versions that are out there, Supernatural, I think, did an episode mm-hmm. that was really in- interesting about um, that sort of revival tent uh, thing where, you know, like somebody was going to go get healed. Mm-hmm. A- and I just think that's so, it, I just find it interesting. It, like you said, it's people want to believe they're missing something and they're, they're just looking, they're searching. And then all of a sudden it seems like, Oh, here's this person who's answering me. Yeah. And I think that what's going on in the, in society at the particular time is important because that's, you know, when you, I mean, everybody talks about, you know, you see on Twitter all the time, Oh, the world is garbage, blah, blah, Mm -hmm. blah, blah. It's this huge trash fire. Well, that's the exact time when people can say, Hey, you know what? It's not a trash fire. I'm going to show you a new way. You know, um, then in the nineties, we had the heaven's gate, right? There's a, there's a great podcast called, uh, heaven's gate that actually goes through the heaven's gate cult. And it's very, very interesting. Um, and they talk to former members that either left before, um, the suicide or were actually left because of the suicide. So it's, I mean, it's really, it's very interesting to see that. So, and there's, there are internal struggles within the, the cult itself. I mean, you know, the character of Callum being a child really has no ability to say, I want to go because this is all he's known. But the two adults in his life actually struggle with, we feel like we're a part of something yet here's our, our nephew who is being abused. Right. You know? Where do we draw the line? Yeah, there there was definitely some uh, some interesting struggle there because um, you you take the story through timelines where you're, you know there's some flashbacks and uh, into different people's lives and and so looking at Callum's family, it's like well if they don't want him with this preacher you know, how, why aren't they saving him somehow? And it was obviously like this catastrophe where everybody was on the run. And I, I was, I'm still watching the handmaid's tale because even though I read it, I'm slow to watch it. Um, cause I get so stressed out by it. <laughs> <laughs> and I, but I mean, but it seems like the same thing. It's like something seems like the answer to your prayers. And then you find out, Oh no, they're going to control me in my entire life. And, um, it's just so terrifying to me, especially, you know, when we hear about uh, the, you know, like today's news, you know, we're worried about net neutrality and everything. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, we we also are of the age where we remember Waco, Texas and that disaster. Yeah. And um, so uh, I, I did want to talk, though, because it's so serious and dark and, and takes on this serial killer story um, about Dave's page layouts, because um Sometimes with something so gruesome and scary, I I expect to either see like black panel gutters, like page gutters, or full bleeds on the page, or a lot of splashes of the blood and stuff. And instead, you mm. you kept everything like so clean, all the white panel page borders, and you didn't really stray from any unusual shape designs of the panels. Like everything's just, you know, rectangles and squares and it reads very clearly. I loved your lettering by the way too. So I don't know your letterer, but give them please 
personal kudos <laughs> because I honestly, if I have trouble reading a book, I just throw it down. I'm like, no, forget it. So, oh, yeah. um, so the page layouts and the lettering were so fantastic. Um, was what was the decision when you read the script to to do something like that to, to keep it cleaner instead of like well I'm just gonna have blood splashes everywhere yeah <laughs> I'm I'm so glad you picked up on that because it is a subtle thing but it was a conscious decision because this is the first comic that I've drawn that takes place in the you know quote unquote real world it's not a supervillain it's not supernatural. You know, and so I wanted to establish it in that manner where I use pretty much, you know, the six panel grid. Um, I don't bust the borders of the panels. I don't use the black panel borders. And yeah, it's not like extreme uh, layouts. It's subdued. And so when the violence or gore does come into it, it kind of makes it more shocking that way. I wanted to like to just have it plain and easily digestible. And then when you get to the really scary parts, they would seem really scary because it's been pretty mellow up until then. It did. It actually, because you, you know, like I said, from Erica's uh, writing perspective, she takes the timeline of, you know, this character, former agent Cal, uh, Callum Cooper and we see him as a child. We see him as an adult after he's retired from the uh, Bureau. And then we get to know this other character, Aisha Miller. And um, so we go from these seemingly not bland, but everyday scenes. Right. And then we get the look at this. Um, serial killer. I don't want to get too spoilery here. At the, <laughs> we, we get a look at the killer. First of all, we get to see him uh, and his body and his characteristics and the, you know, the, well, the fact that he's, he's teasing Callum that, oh, you didn't actually, the guy that you, you know, is going to the chair is not, you know, the real killer I'm here. Um, so what, what freedoms did you get to take with setting that pace and the tension uh, based on the script? It was actually, it's the hardest project I've ever drawn. Really? Because <laughs> it's, yeah, yeah, because it's real world stuff, you know, the the cars have to look like cars, the clothes have to look like clothes, it's not spandex, you know? <laughs> right. <laughs> and, um, uh, well, you don't have to be sorry, it's just how you sell the story is is part of it. So part of it was just Making the humans look human, not exaggerated anatomy, you know, and weird angles and stuff. And just to show the clarity of it. And, um, but the fun part was when you get to see the killer's POV a little bit, uh, that's when you break out and suddenly the panels start to fall into each other and things like that. And you can get really, you know, expressive with the, uh, the detail and uh, cause I look at it like when you're drawing a panel, you're describing it to somebody. If you use too many words, you know, and they're just going to get lost or bored with it. If you just ramble on. And that's what detail is to me. It's rambling on. <laughs> right. And there was, so, uh, you know, there were these, these great uh, differences where it wasn't, you know, just 
a talking head or, or whatever, you know, it's like we get a shot of the cell phone screen. We get a, you know, we get somebody's reaction to what's being right. said. That's uh, my favorite thing to draw is the acting of the characters. Like, um, the, like you said, facial expressions and, you know, their um, body language. And this book, I knew it was going to live and die by that kind of stuff because it is, you know, scenes of two characters talking on a phone. And that's uh, that's very challenging to make dynamic and to, you know, move the eye across the page. Well, you put a lot of butt shots in there, too, so. There are plenty of tushy shots for <laughs> anyone to enjoy. <laughs> and I, I swear to God, I did not write any of that. <laughs> well, hey. You know, you gotta you gotta keep the eye interested, right? <laughs> Can't just be a headshot, like you said. Well, there's yep. you know, and so and it's you know, there's a level of gratuity, and and honestly, compared to other comics out there, it was reined in considering what some of this content is that this serial killer is out there taking women, and you know, there's there's one where we we actually get to see one of his victims, you know, stripped right. naked and she's terrified and chained up and whatever. And, um, and com honestly, like compared to other things out there, it was, it was not so objectifying. Like it was, it was more about, okay, she is there and she's clearly the victim, but uh, there was still so much incredible focus. It was like you, you built this character the, of this killer, like, if you have the perfect actor, like, you know, they just take the screen and you can't look at anything else. That's how I felt about that scene. I was just like, okay, well, I feel bad for her. But on the other hand, let's look at this guy. <laughs> Thank you. That's, yeah, that's exactly uh, what I was going for and how I had to play it. Because it's like, it could be salacious or objectifying, but I did. I wanted you to feel scared. It was. It was this kind of content. Yeah. And, that, and a lot of that, again, you know, coloring, like you said, you were yeah. so happy with the coloring and it's the, the palette is very, you know, crystal clear as opposed to, you know, when we, when we see the this is the everyday life of Callum and Aisha and, you know, them going through their whole, you know, their whole activity of crime solving and then we see, okay, we're in the killer's domain now, and the color changes. And it's it's just this shift, and it's one of those things where maybe somebody's not going to consciously notice it, but their their minds are definitely going to pick it up. Yeah, he did such a great job with those scenes. So happy with it. When I actually and brought, well, I think when I brought both of you into it, I said, you know, there's going to be nudity, there's this, I don't want you drawing anything you're not comfortable with. And Andrew actually said to me, he's like, there are very few things that I'm not comfortable with, but don't go out of your way to try to <laughs> gross me out. So. I know. It's like if you give Erica that little bit of info, you say too much, she'll get you. Uh, she'll get you. Um, so I, I apologize yeah. if you hear the cat crying in the background. He's he's bored and upset now. He sat for as long <laughs> as he could. It's like, come on, stop talking about murder. Got, he has young children. He understands. He's, yeah. So there you go. So Gus is... Gus is crying. Mind you, my morning was spent digging through uh, through bones. Um, this is it was so appropriate Fun. to be prepared for this show, um, uh, because when Gus and I go out, we've been finding a lot of bones. So it sounds like I live on a cemetery or yeah. murder, you know, serial killer, you know, drop <laughs> murder zone. Murder shack. Yeah, yep. the murder shack at the top of the hill. Um, I, I 
honestly, it's totally, it's, it's, it's a terrifying shack. And so he sat next to me, eventually fell asleep as I'm trying to identify these bones that had been soaking in the cleaner for two weeks. And uh, so I let him, you know, smell one and stuff because Ollie took a big interest in them at first. And Gus is just like, man, if it's not food, I really don't care. <laughs> if I and, can't um, eat it, it doesn't make yeah. sense to me. So he like looked at it. He, he put one, put it in his mouth a little bit. He's like, no, nah, no, no, There's no more meat left. It's like, no, I'm sorry. There's no more meat left on these bones. Thank God we didn't find any bones with meat. They were all so clean that our, <laughs> our neighborhood animals are doing a fabulous job. Oh, good, good. Yeah, they must, we, we've got some fat critters out there, I think. <laughs> um, so, so, yeah, what a weird morning. Play, playing with bones. I listened yeah. to, the, my, to, the, to the murder podcast about, yep. you know, this killer, and now I'm talking to you guys. Um, so I do want to talk more about your, your killer, by the way, but I want to talk about the, your protagonist uh, first, Erica, because we've sort of got this dynamic of like a, a protagonist and sidekick dynamic. And um, so we've got Callum and Aisha. So we've got this gay white guy and this black woman who's brilliant and a scientist, but she works in a nightclub. Yes. So, uh, so what was the character development like for these two well i mean i had when i originally came up with this idea about three years ago i had um it was going to be kind of like a supernatural thing where it was the two it was going to be an ongoing series the two of them were going to be traveling all over the country working together and things like that um unfortunately it wasn't going to work out that way in terms of um, how the series was going to be funded and such. So I sort of stripped away a lot of the excess and, uh, and just put it toward this core story that they were doing. Um, I wanted to use, use characters that were marginalized in some way. I mean, we, yes, Callum is a white male, but he's also gay. Uh, Aisha is a black female who, you know, she says in, in, you know, the opening of book two, it's, you know, uh, uh, an after school special smart girl, you know, from a poor house, you know, works her ass off to go to college, but gets involved with the wrong people. And that happens a lot of times that happens to so many people. And, um, and it's frustrating to see wasted potential. And that's kind of what she feels that she is, which is why she's so eager to prove herself not just to Callum, but also to the killer as a way of saying, look, you may discount me for working in a nightclub, but I'm working in a nightclub out of necessity, not because that's the only thing that I can do. So why does she decide to go along with him? Because there is a moment where she's very suspicious of him, like, holy shit, what did I do? I'm waking up in a hotel room with this stranger. Yeah. Um, you know, not after anything went on between them, but just like they, you know, they find a body and they end up on the road together. Why on earth does she, does she do this? And and instead of red flags going off, like all the women out there saying, never get in the car with a stranger. <laughs> well, I, that's, that's the funny thing is that I, I've spoken to so many friends of mine that have said, oh, you know, yeah, I picked up a hitchhiker before, or yeah, I did this, or yeah, I did that. And in hindsight, you think to yourself, what are you freaking dumb? Like, what is wrong with you? Um, 
But then you think about when you're in the moment and he promises her something very, very important to her. He says, look, I can, I can help you. You know, you have, you're in a situation where, you know, you don't have the money for a lawyer. You have to fight against this lawsuit against the college because your idiot ex-boyfriend used your ID to go into a lab and ended up blowing it up. You know, so we, she, she's sort of tempted with the carrot, but then we find out later that it's, it's more than just that. There's, there's a very specific reason why it's her that Callum goes to. Um, and I don't want to spoil that. Right. Okay. (laughs) Okay. So, um, when it came to all of that scientific work, was did you have to do a, t- a ton of research, or were you just like you know staying at thirty five thousand feet and and you know it wasn't that that intricate? No, I think I did some research. Um, I'm you know I I have somewhat of a medical background. I was a you know first responder a million years ago and everything. My mom's a nurse, and if I ever really have. Um, medical questions. I can always ask her. She was a surgical nurse for many years. And, you know, she, like me, she finds this kind of interesting and, and very clinical. You know, when I look at the, when I wrote the script, I wrote it very clinically. It was only when I get, would get pages back from David that I'd be like, holy crap, is that what I put on the page? Mm -hmm. Did I write that? Because to me, it was just very do, 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 you know, typing, you know, let words on a keyboard. And then David extrapolates them, brings it back. And I'm like, Oh, Jesus, God, what have I done? (laughs) (laughs) What have I done? (laughs) Wait, there's emotion. (laughs) Aside from that, I mean, it was just like, you know, seeing the, the characters, um, you know, that first body that they find. To me, in my brain, I thought of it as like when I was in anatomy and physiology class. It's literally just like a slab of meat on a table that you're dissecting. Yeah, it does depend on on where you've come from. Because before I took anatomy, I was I was very like body phobic to a degree. Like I mean, I liked I loved bodies plenty, but I didn't want to know about the the inner workings. And then once I took that, first of all, I became vegetarian immediately. <laughs> and then <laughs> and now I'm like, I'm like, ooh, we do that. Ooh, this does that. And it's like, you know, like the fact that anybody gets through, first of all, a pregnancy at, at any level, I mean, it is fascinating. Like how on earth do bodies do this? Yeah. It's you know, it's so bizarre to me. And it's like, oh, and then, you know, and genetics do this and you know this is how digestion is and it's it's weird it's just so weird and um so yeah like all of a sudden you know if you're surrounded by a cracked open torso and you're looking down at these organs you know are you going oh look what a lovely liver or are you like gonna throw up any second <laughs> well, I mean, like, I, I, I think of it very, very clinically, and I look at it very clinically. And, and I think, I mean, Dave, you can talk to this. I mean, I don't know how much you felt about, I know you said that you felt icky. Drawing <laughs> the sequences. Yeah, there's lots of, lots of icky moments in this book. <laughs> yes, there are. <laughs> For the reader and myself, but. Now I feel when, really bad. <laughs> well, it's just. Uh, how well do you want to sell the story? Because I could cop out and draw it in a way that's, you know, fine or whatever. Or it's like, like you said, when Aisha finds that first body, 
the body is whatever. It's a body, but it's Aisha's look of shock and horror on her face that sells it. You know, mm-hmm. she so through the character, you are digesting that this is really gross <laughs> and disturbing. That's the that's the yeah. Because I mean, it's it's like you writing it. You I'll be drawing a page, and then I'll um, then my kids will come in the room, and I'll have to flip the page over suddenly. I go wait a second. This is really gross. Yeah, I've talked to other parents but who, I don't ha- who have it. disgusting stuff yeah. on their tables, and and they're like, you know, at a certain point, their kids are just used to it. Yeah. I'm like, how do your kids feel about all these like, you know, zombies eating brains and stuff? And they're like, oh, they've, they've seen it. They've seen yeah. it before their first birthday. Yeah, my Dave's kids are wife huge. Actually, scaredy thinks cats. that I'm a serial killer. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that's true. Could be, but um. But yeah, my kids are huge scaredy cats, which is kind of funny. But they'll pretend like it doesn't freak them out. But it, I know it does. Well, I'm a huge scaredy cat, so if I can get through the book, no problem. Then that's your, you know, that's a pretty good baseline. Yeah. I think. Um, but it's the, just, yeah, it's just a, it's a scary story. So you have to do your job and sell the page. When you're in it, doing the work, it's, you know, it's whatever. You could be drawing a coffee table, but um, it's only after the fact. Like Erica said, you look back and you go. This is disturbing, <laughs> especially well, there, like yeah. My but style. there are there are choices to be made, like you said, like you know, do yeah. you put a a cloth over some over the body, or do you have the t-shirt this way, or do you have the t-shirt right. that way? You know, those you'll are decisions. As the chapters go on, you'll see more and more. Like in the first chapter, you will see you know things draped over people. <laughs> uh, you won't, and some of it's obscured on the edges of your vision. Sort of. And then by the time you get to the last book, like, oh, it's all out. Right. <laughs> but it's part of, you know, you, you just got to dole it out. I look at stuff like that whenever I do gore or horror stuff. I look at it how they would do it in like uh, an 80s horror movie. You know, you got to set the scene and then, you know, you get a little bit as you go and it gets a lot worse towards the end. Well, it's like it's the jaws and it's the jaws impact, you know, gently sort of easing people into it. Right. Um, you see the fin. <laughs> but you did not exactly. do this in 12 Devils Dancing, Erica. <laughs> <laughs> no. Pretty much from the first issue, it's it yeah. starts out. Yeah, it starts out intense and it gets it gets worse. But there are these moments of innocence, though, because we do get the flashbacks to when when Callum's a kid, you know, right. so it's like. There's there's some balance right. in there. We're working its way in. Yeah, but that only serves to make the horror worse. Oh yeah, <laughs> it's a, it, it's like a it's a juxtaposition. Well, I mean, I I want to show the innocence of, you know, the sort of the innocence and the naivete of the child versus what the real world is because he's living in a bubble. Even though he's in a cult, he's still living in a bubble. You know, he doesn't know what the world is like outside of that bubble as a child until the fire happens. Mm-hmm. And, and and are we going to learn more about the fire? Yes. Read, okay. You're going to learn everything about the fire. Okay. Because I, I had a feeling. I was like, oh, I bet we're going to know what's caused this. Okay. Yes. Um, <clears throat> so... While we are while we are talking about character development, like I said, I want to this particular serial killer is um, an interesting guy visually, and um, he also has 
uh, as Erica said, like these types of, of people that that can get someone into their trust. Now, this is not the, the preacher. So um, no, this is the murderer. Yeah. This is the murderer. And, you know, still come come across as approachable and you know he's he has a job as an artist and so I was like oh god she made him an artist what does her artist think about this <laughs> so so Dave I, I was wondering how that part felt when you when you realize that this killer has this life as an artist and it mingles with his disgusting hobby of chopping people up yeah um, well, then that's just how you know, by making him an artist, that's how you know the the character is full of shit. <laughs> don't, believe any, are... don't believe anything he yeah. says. Yeah. He's a fraud. Well, I mean, there's a, there's a certain eccentricity that is allowed people who are artists, you know. Um, oh, yeah, because at... there's things you can get away with that you couldn't get away at, like, you know, a job crunching numbers in a cubicle yeah and there's I mean and I've worked for a few artists who will remain nameless who Mm -hmm. get away with a lot of very bizarre behavior and such and I've seen especially in the comics community uh, some artists doing kind of strange things but you know oh but that's just them that's their art and and he you know the the killer is very He's very um, conscious of the way he looks physically. He's mm-hmm. absolutely conscious of that. And because of that, he goes out of his way to um, be debonair, to be uh, approachable, to be very um, eloquent in what he says. Um, because he has this other side of him, which is just pure visceral rage that we end up seeing at the end of the first book at the end of the uh, third book which is like the first volume where we actually see him lose it and it's the first time that he's lost control like this because he's usually the one dangling the string in front of Callum and it was this one moment that he just loses his his composure and that's when Callum realizes I know who he is yeah, that was a, a, a great moment there because that exchange, like you said, to it's a telephone conversation and the art had to suck you into it at the you know at the same time. And meanwhile, you're getting putting two and two together. You're, you're you know it's like oh now our you know investigators is on the same page. Um, but the like. To think of a of a serial killer or you know a, a criminal like this who's so damaged from his youth. Well, first of all, the the protagonist is damaged from his youth too, and they turned out so completely in you know differently. And you know, and I'm thinking of like the Phantom of the Opera. I'm like, he stayed a hermit, you know, behind the scenes in this opera house, and your killer, on the other hand, decided to you know become famous in a way like take his art out and you know he leaves the house you know it's he's not living like a hermit Mm -hmm. and I think that there's a very interesting thing where um people always talk about scars are not always visible you know Callum has plenty of scars from his childhood and right we see the PTSD very clearly yeah so we see that 
in him. But when you just look at him, you think, oh, this is a handsome looking guy. You look at the killer, on the other hand, who has these physical scars and but presents himself in a very different manner. So, I mean, there are people that go through um, terrible trauma as as children and how they present themselves as adults is very, very different. You know, there are, there have been studies done with families where you, you know, multiple siblings, they all grew up in the same very abusive household, but as adults, each sibling presents themselves in a very different manner. You know, one's still the angry one. One is the very sort of eloquent, subdued one, you know, the other one's the crazy, wild, you know, drinker kind of thing, you know, but they all have their own uh, way of doing it. And, and it shows that they, you know, Callum came from a Trump traumatic childhood. The killer came from a traumatic childhood. But how they uh, channeled that into adulthood is very different. Yeah, it's definitely um, an interesting look at, at, you know, people who grew up with some of the same problems and they, you know, and how they took different paths in life, mm-hmm. like extremely different paths in life. Um, I, it unfortunately, like, even makes me think about, uh, um, we see, we, well, we see Callum with his aunt and his uncle, so we don't have mm-hmm. the, the um, direct biological connection of his mom and, and, and dad. But, uh, you know, I was thinking about those kids who were adopted. It was just in the news. It was so tragic, where it was like, these two, um, a lesbian couple had adopted all these kids mm. and there was like six kids and yeah. they were being just tortured. But because they had some media attention on them at times, all the kids are smiling in every picture and people are like, but how can they look like this? How can they look so happy? And it's like, dude, really? Like, you know, behind the scenes is not what you're going to see in, you know, staged photos. Yeah. And I mean, my, my grandmother from Ireland used to always say the lace curtains always face out, mm-hmm. you know, um, yeah. people will always put the, the public forward. And Dave and I have talked about this, you know, on Twitter and stuff, you know, like that on social media, people will decide what perception they want people to have of them by putting out. Uh, specific things like, oh, I'm working on this book or, oh, my life sucks or, you know, whatever. So everybody, everybody has sort of creates this persona. And that's kind of like what Callum does, because we notice that there's, you know, there's a different persona between the people that know him at work versus his ex versus his relationship with Aisha. And Mm -hmm. I think the, probably the the most honest relationship that he has is with Aisha because mm-hmm. he keeps sec- he kept secrets from Dennis his ex he was definitely keeping secrets at work so yeah, absolutely. it's almost like he evolves as to his relationships throughout and the same thing with the killer um how he has his relationships and his we end up seeing a very significant relationship that he ends up having with uh one of the people who work at the gallery. That's, that's going to be a very big turning point in the book too. Okay. And you brought up a really good point though, about how, um, how does this relate to the way that we live today with social media and, 
um, what we see because, you know, when you read stuff like, oh, Facebook was performing social experiments on us, that if you posted something depressing, you, it only showed you other depressing stuff. Yeah. And um, so I've I've actually tried the experiment to reverse it and be like, OK, let me just post happy stuff and see what I see. I didn't notice it any anything different. I was, I, I was still getting like, you know, a bazillion notices about my friend planning her wedding and, um, you know, which were stressful. They weren't, these were not like happy posts. These were, oh my God, fighting with my mother posts. And, um, you know, and just like sad, regular everyday stuff, um, you know, complaining about politics and, and whatnot. So I'm like, I don't I don't understand where these algorithms are so are judging us so much if it's if it's in there. And but I I do get that perception of people. There are people that I specifically have muted because to me, their lives look so perfect. And I'm like, look, man, I love you. I love you. I love you. But I have to mute you. Yeah, you're full of shit. <laughs> well, that's you're showing your highlight reel. Yeah. Like that's that's the thing. It's we show our highlight reel and. Um, on a, and that's why all I do is post like cat photos now. Oh yeah. For, that was the best thing about Instagram was I'm like, I'm joining Instagram. Look, there's cats here. Like that's, that's, that's all I use it for. That's where the that's cats all, are. That's all I do. Hey dude, don't even front. Okay. Cats freaking created the internet. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> all right. My friend went to Turkey and there's apparently a lot of like stray cats and dogs in Turkey. And when I said to him, I was like, oh, what's Turkey like? He's like, it's like the Internet, but in real life. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I mean, that's that's the thing is like trying to be positive in this world right now is difficult, which is why you always get like the uprocks of, oh, hey, look, you know, or um, uh, go, go, was it go, go dodo or something like that? Oh, the dodo. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so, oh, look at these wonderful things. And nine times out of 10, it's animal interactions because animals Animals are saving people, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Because like animals are way smarter than we are. Like human beings. We think we're at the top of the food chain. We are not, we are the (laughs) idiots because we are destroying ourselves literally. And the cats are just cats and dogs are just like, I'm going to sleep in my bed in the corner and watch you guys crash and burn and then when you're all done i'm gonna eat your corpse and that's basically <laughs> what, what it turns into but i do yeah, have... that's that's why they they domesticated themselves there's yeah. you know there was always this belief that humans domesticated dogs and cats no. and um and now it's believed that no it's the other way around like they knew all of a sudden that if they came close enough there was a food source <laughs> There was a food source. There was a manipulation. They could manipulate us. It's funny. I was, I used to work right around the corner from, uh, from Bryant Park and I used to have lunch there. And I remember going to lunch at Bryant Park and these Upper East Side ladies, um, people not from the New York area don't really know what that means, but very like yuppie, white, well-off ladies. They're walking and one of them had, um, this tiny dog. Dave, what kind of dog do you have? I have, this is going to sound bad. I have a golden doodle. You know, okay. Well, it's it, so but she's small, right? No, it's mixed. It's a golden retriever mixed with a standard poodle, so it's giant. Oh. Okay, because there was because I saw a photo and I thought she was small, um, but she had like one of these like small, like almost like a Bichon. I don't really know dogs, um, but like a smaller like Bichon kind of dog, and mm-hmm. she's bending. She's you know five women in this little like lunch group, and she's bending down picking up the dog's poop, and she says, "Yeah, we're," and she, as she's doing it. She says, yeah, we're the, we're the uh, superior species. <laughs> As she's literally picking up the, picking the, up poop. Mm-hmm. 
poop from her dog. I do yeah. have to say this, and I want and I want this shouted to the rooftops. Dave and Andrew are amazing. And uh. no, I mean it's it's true. The reason why I wanted to work with Dave is because when I was uh, I had lettered Swords of Sorrow, and I saw his work with Nancy Collins on uh, Jennifer Blood Vampirella. And even though it was very sort of fantastical kind of thing, um, you know, the premise, he did, he nailed it in terms of realism. And I really, I loved his style. I loved the realism. Uh, I loved the weight of his lines. And so mm -hmm. I said, I'd really like to work with this guy. And I have gotten nothing but amazing things from him. And so how, I, did, how did you first reach out to him? Did I literally, I, I had his email from, from working on Swords of Sorrow, or I, okay. I, I may have reached out to him on Twitter and I was just like, Hey, you know, I have this thing. You want to, we did, uh, we did that cover first. Yeah, that's right. He did a cover for M3. When we re-released yeah. M3, he did a very cool cover for the second, um, trade of M3 motives. And then, um, nice. yeah, you, you came at me with 12 devils dancing and, um, I love, like, I'm a big true crime fan, you know, and I have drawn a lot of uh, fantasy horror comics. So to me, the appeal was like hitting a true crime thing, um, but and trying to do horror in a in a non, you know, like uh, fantastic way, like more of a thriller, you know, something right. something like a creeper. <laughs> Yeah, like this is this is like um yeah, like a real serious bones episode. Yeah. Yeah, which I mean seriously, I mean there were episodes of that where I'm like they have to have a disclaimer on this show because it's so <laughs> disgusting. Well, I mean, Action Lab makes you put a disclaimer on the books. Uh they're danger zone books. Some of them yeah. can be, you know, like jokey and stuff. Um but others not so much. Mm -hmm. What was great um, working with Erica is that uh, if just about any other writer had given me the same story, I probably wouldn't have done it. But <laughs> <laughs> I knew Erica knew her shit, you know, so. Um, because I have dead bodies. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> I always say Erica knows where the bodies are. If you like, yeah, you better watch out. Erica knows where all the bodies are. So, but just because of not only her writing ability, but who she is as a person, I knew that this story was going to be good um, and that it was going to be something worth doing. And she, uh, turns out, is a very cool person, too, and was very patient with me while uh, I went through a lot of, had a lot of big life stuff last year. So my schedule was crazy and she was nothing but patient with me. And um, so I, wa I really wanted to give my best to her for that reason on this project. Well, what am uh, I going to say? Don't have a baby? Come on. Well, <laughs> yeah, really? Yeah. You could say, ah, I'm going to get another guy. Don't worry. No, but, I mean, um, that's the thing is like, it's if, if somebody, if you want to work with somebody, you wait for them. Like that's, that's how it should work at least. That's how it should work. It's not how it always does. So I, know. I definitely appreciate Yeah, at least it. he didn't, he didn't like ghost out on you and just stop returning emails. That's yeah. Like, yeah, no. you got you got to tell people. That's that's kind of like the number one career killer is like you yeah. just fade off without be like, hey, I'm the, you know whatever the your life circumstances are, people will work with you most of the time, you know, and you can work something out. But um, 
yeah, if you just disappear, it's like, all right, bye. I am still annoyed that he didn't name his, his child after me, but, you know, that's fine. She has my initials. She has yeah, my initials, initials. yeah. Maybe, was, maybe he'll get another dog. That was the compromise, can... because it was completely up to me. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah, obviously yeah, my yeah, wife had yeah, no Yeah, sure. Absolutely but... not. She's just, she's just carrying <laughs> yeah. the thing for, yeah. for several months. Yes, obviously. exactly. Yeah, no, he can get another dog or a goldfish or something. And, oh, and name it please. <laughs> His, yeah. I do have to say, um, Dave's wife, Carrie, actually did contribute to the book as well. Okay, how? Because uh, there's a character who wears a very specific T-shirt. Oh, yeah. Right? And Carrie created the logo that's on the T-shirt. That's oh, right. interesting. She's, yeah, because um, I noticed that that was significant. Yes. Yeah, it's a big plot point, and... Uh, she's a great uh, graphic designer. And so any kind of typography or color, she basically forbids me from doing because it's not my <laughs> strong don't, suit. Don't, don't do it, Dave. Yeah. She goes, I'm like, I'm like, can you just do this? It'll take you five minutes <laughs> and it worked. Yeah. So she's always, yeah, she's always there for me. Chipping so, in yes. uncredited. Nice. Well, I'm, Aww. you know, we should, we should definitely, I should have put that in and I, I apologize to her for that. I should have put that in. Well, you've done it publicly. So. Well, when you start selling the merchandise, then you know, I actually want to get it made into. I, I want that T-shirt. <laughs> yeah, that that's what cool. I mean. Like you start selling that, then then her name gets on there. Yeah, I would I, like I, that. I, I want that T-shirt because I'm just kind of like that's actually really cool. Should we do it? Should we both wear them at the cons? I we'll would, do signings with I'm a big deal. I would totally. Big deal right now. I would totally wear that T-shirt. I mm. thought it was a great shirt. Yeah. Although um, I do have to say, like, we, we got to make sure, like, is she going to color it for us or we're we just going to do the line art? We'll just do line art. Okay. Because yeah, we'll we're going to be at the, uh, at the convention Motor City together. Motor City Comic Con, yeah. Yep. Was it That's like May fun. 19th, something like that? Yeah, I got to drive all the way from Ohio. I have to drive from New Jersey to then Ohio and then from Ohio to the, to the con. Well, nice. Ohio's That's not a, bad. Ohio driving yeah. through Ohio is bad, but it's, at least it's not far. It's just a lot of nothing, right? It's you like know? the worst state to drive through. Sorry, Ohio. That's, Pencil That's Pennsylvania, though. Pennsylvania is just so long. Oh like, no! But at least you have oh. hills. <laughs> like yeah, there's Ohio hills there's in Pennsylvania. Hills. Yeah, there's yeah, hills. This is flat. You get Southern Ohio. It's almost Kentucky. Then it. There's, a, there's like yes. three. There's like three hills. See, I'm not I'm not from there at all. So, I mean, the only reason why I've ever been to Ohio my entire life is because that's where my husband's from. If I didn't marry him, I would have no reason to ever go. <laughs> there's, there's, I mean, it's the truth. But my my mother-in-law is graciously putting me up for the night before. So that's nice. Yeah, that's good. So there's less driving. Don't feel yeah. bad though, because Ohio people know it. So. Well, I always, I mean, there's so many people from Ohio that live other places. And I kind yeah, of yeah, wonder, like, that's if why. Ohio was so great, why would you leave? That's why, yeah. But. You know I, where the most astronauts are from? Ohio. Do you know where also the, the most presidents are from is Ohio. Oh, well. Yeah. So you got that, too. That's interesting. And then somehow people end up in New Jersey. Yeah. Hey, you know, it's not a big deal being from Jersey. It's No, it's, you know, we're we're small, but, you know, we have we usually have cheaper gas than anybody else. 
That's so true. Yeah, we do get made fun of a lot. And it gets pumped for you. It is a blessing that we (laughs) employ people to pump gas. That's so weird. I miss the days, though, where they also, like, you know, squeegeed the windows and all that good stuff. You know, sometimes if they're if they have time, if they're bored, they'll do that. Why is that weird that people put the people pump their gas for you? Why why can't they pump? Why can't you pump your own gas? There's there was a great article written about why New Jerseyans don't pump their own gas. And somebody said because they are naturally more flammable than any other state. (laughs) (laughs) So we're naturally flammable people. Just greasiness. I get it. Yeah, exactly. It's all the it's you know what it's you can say it, Dave. Just say it. It's all the greasy Italians. I would never say that. You're lying because you're talking to one of them. (laughs) You know, it's 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 all us greasy Italians, you know, maybe you're eating a slice of pizza while you're pumping all the pork roll anything could happen it's you're not, at the wawa and you drop some oil it's taylor ham on your um hobie. <laughs> wait do you call what do you call it yeah we called it pork roll where when i grew up there's, there's and, well, there was just a fight about this on on thomas pluck's uh, instagram too exactly. about what you, what you call it yeah it's either it's either a hoagie or sub i call it a sub I say sub now, but I grew up saying hoagie. Yeah, but Dave, do you say pop? Yeah. Why? Oh, yeah. See, that's just weird. <laughs> soda pop is short. It's soda. Yeah, yeah no. It's just soda. It's pop. Yeah, I beat that out of my husband when we first met. <laughs> well, it just outs you automatically if you say it anywhere outside of Michigan. Well, yeah. I, I, don't, I don't get it. Like, pop is just a weird, it's just weird. No, it's delicious. Have a few pops. Feel great. I don't know because I have a, a, my mom watches like all the Mary Berry shows. And so I I don't know half of what they're saying most of the time. I'm like, this is the same language. Why don't I understand them? It's not the same language. They have such weird words for shit. Like she said, you know what they call sugar? Caster sugar. I'm like, what? Why? (laughs) Sugar. Yeah, she's like, I don't know. <laughs> they call them, I'm like, because we were talking about, you know, the new royal baby and all this exciting stuff. And, yeah, why uh, do people get obsessed? It's a kid. Congratulations, you had a baby. That's terrific. The kid's fifth in line. Come on. Yeah, I think that's what's more exciting is that he's not booting his sister out of the uh, hierarchy there. <laughs> that changed the law. They change. Jesus. They change the law so that she can. Uh, she she actually does have a place in line. That's cool. But okay, so are you guys open to talking about the the funding and publishing aspects of this? Uh, sure. I mean, you know, as we mentioned, you're going to be with Action Lab Danger Zone. Yeah. And so you had some options here with funding. Um, I I like to just give people the skinny on, you know, that that publishing is a different world now. Publishing that, is a very different world. Um, Basically, you, I, pay, I pay Dave. You paid to for art. this. <laughs> yes, yeah. I pay Dave to do art um, yeah. because I can't do the art and he's incredibly talented. And that's it. So I, Dave gets a page rate from me. We, you know, sat down, we had a conversation. I said, okay, this is what I can give and deal. And that's what we've been doing for the past five books. And you, did you consider crowdfunding? I am terrified of crowdfunding. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I don't know if you imagine, are, Dave, but I am. I, no, I've done a few things. I've turned down a few things just because they were kickstarted. Um, 
just because like I can't deal with the stress of like worrying about it for a month if you're gonna have a job or not, you know? Yeah. So I usually yeah, I think I've I've turned down every everything that was a Kickstarter just for that reason as a work for hire. I mean, I think it's a great idea. It's a great way to go about it, but it's stressful. Right. And as you said, life can get in the way. Like, um, you know, I've, uh, there's some books that I, I've actually backed or, and, you know, there's constant apologies coming out of the creator, like, oh, life got in the way. And it's two years later, and you finally get the books. And you, you know, they usually get like a whole bunch of other stuff on top of it. Yeah, as you know, appreciation, but there's something to be said when it's, I mean, it's if scary. it's your, it's your dime, man, you're gonna get it done. You know, well, if that, you, absolutely. If you get a Kickstarter and it's crowdfunded, that's great. But some people aren't suited to that and will lack, you know, the discipline to actually complete the work. I, I think... and and Erica, but I was wondering, like, how you came to approach Action Lab. I mean, because I know you've done work with Dynamite and uh, I you had know, actually. I mean, David had a contact at Skybound that we sent it to. Um, I sent it to a bunch of publishers. I sent it to Image. I sent it to Dynamite. I sent it to um, to Dark Horse. I had originally sent them. There were some editors that had told me that I could pitch via one sheet. So I, I, when I just had the one sheet, I sent it around and, uh, the editors were like, oh, well, this looks, you know, it looks interesting, but, um, it's not something we're looking to publish. So then, you know, a year goes by, I have some of David's artwork and some of Andrew's colors on it. And I sent it again saying, you know, Hey, now that I, now that you can see it, you know, it's not just words on a page. What do you think? And it looks really great, but it's not you know, what we're looking to do. And that, that you get a lot from publishers, this idea of it looks really great, but um, we have another book that's similar coming out, or it looks really great, but we're not looking to do another serial killer story or, you know, whatever. So rejections are pretty easy to get. So we had, um, we had one publisher that was going to take it And, um, I was excited about that, but unfortunately they had some financial issues. And so they then backed out right before San Diego. So we did the first issue as a, um, as a, a one shot that we put out for New York comic-con. And from there action lab approached us, uh, or rather approached me because I was at New York. Dave, I don't, Dave, you didn't table at New York, did you? No. Um, Action Lab approached me and said, hey, you know, this looks really interesting. We'd like to do it for, um, whatchamacallit, for Danger Zone. That's great. Yeah. That's, I mean, that that must be a completely different feeling when a publisher comes to you. <laughs> it's like, wow. <laughs> it's, it's great because Action Lab will be covering the printing, which is a huge deal, you yeah. know, um, People like putting out their own books all the time, and that's great, and they do it all the time. Printing is enormous. And if we were going to do the book, uh, if we were going to self-publish the book, like we did, like Vicente and I did with M3, then I was thinking of maybe doing a Kickstarter for a print run. Mm -hmm. But I didn't want to do the Kickstarter for the artwork because I wanted to make sure that, you know, Dave's putting in a lot of time and Andrew's putting in a lot of time. And, you know, I want to make sure that I can pay 
because the work is worth being paid for. And, you know, I'm not getting paid to write it, but I am still getting, you know, their collaboration is key to this whole thing. So. It was cool to me that it ended up at Action Lab because I've known a lot of those guys for years and we've talked about doing things together a couple different times and it just didn't work out. So then when Eric was like, oh yeah, Action Lab's good. I was like, oh, cool. <laughs> well, here's my chance, I guess. Well, there you go. Yeah, it's it's great. Um, I, I usually read like their kids' comics, but <laughs> I know I do. I love their kids' comics. Um, but it's so funny though when I... Uh, it's like there's such a like you said a difference of when something's a, like a fantasy based something you know story mm-hmm. a fantasy based comic or a superhero comic um because you know like stray like they you know so they do the stray in the action verse they have this big superhero universe of their own and um but then you see you know this gruesome bloody you know, I they have something new out. It's like subspecies or something. Um, There's subspecies. Some... Then they, but then they also have like cool stuff like uh, Black Betty, and they've got um, mm-hmm. Zombie Tramp. Right. Yeah. So it's like, it, it just takes a turn. It's like, wow, this is, you know. In the middle there, there's like this middle of superhero stuff. And then you've got, you know, you know, you've got the uh, kid stuff on one end and hero cats. That's like my happy place I love over there. <laughs> hero cats are the best. Here, I love hero cats. And, um, you know, so that, but that brings up another question, though, talking about the cats is I was wondering if, you know, this would be a terrible story to have Simon appear in 12 Devils Dancing. But, you know, you guys told me that you're also going to be, um, you have books coming out the same day, yeah. Zena and Elvira. And I was like, oh, I thought maybe Erica was writing Elvira. I was like, oh, my God, she could put the cat in Elvira. No, I'm not writing Elvira. <laughs> oh, you're not writing Elvira. Dave, you're writing Zena. It's, is it Avalone or Avalone? Avalone. Aval- Dave Avalone is doing it. Yeah, another New Jersey Italian for you. I see. I just prefer it that way that I only work with them. Only uh, work with jerseys, yeah. Yeah, but I've worked with David on... We're good um, writers, what can I say? Exactly. ...things for Dynamite, and... Um, yeah, you guys I, did Shadow together, right? Or was it Doc Sh- Savage? We did both. Shadow, Doc Savage, and then a one-shot. And we have uh, we got to be buddies, so... I found out... I got wind that he was doing a pitch for Elvira, and I was like, you better put my name on top of that pitch with you, with yours. Uh and so, uh, so thankfully it worked out and, uh, and we both got it and it's, it's been a lot of fun and yeah, it's coming out same day as 12 devils dancing, same day as Xena, yeah, July Zena 11th, number six. Right? Yeah. Xena number six. I, I have the, the order numbers. Okay. So Elvira's order number is May 181028. Xena's order number is May 181120 and 12 devils dancing's order number is May one eight one two five five. My God. Excellent. Um, yeah, I wrote them down. Thank you. See, Erica yeah. knows her shit. That's why I like Erica. I knew, <laughs> I knew working with her, I'd be safe. Because any question I have, Erica, what's the numbers? Erica, what's you know, this? Let's talk. That's something. Let's talk about the importance of this, though, because yes. now there are so many different different ways to buy it. You had mentioned, you know, what's coming out in print. It'll be more like a volume collection versus the digital. And yeah. So the, you know, what's going on with the order numbers here? Well, for this, um, 
people don't really understand that comics really make or break by pre-orders. And so there's been like a huge push on social media for people to start pushing what the pre-order numbers are and such, because it's important that the publisher as well as um, Diamond see that there is there is a want for the these books. And um, it's also good because if a book gets pre-ordered a lot, then other publishers see the creative team and say, oh, look, their book got pre-ordered really well. You know, they did really well. Um, maybe we can work with that team or maybe we can hire that artist or maybe we can hire that writer. Um, so it's good publicity. Also, you know, on, a, on another note, the way I look at it is this. If you're not out there promoting your own stuff, if you don't care enough about it to promote it, then why should I care about it as you know, seriously, though, like if as True. as a fan, why would I care about a book that the creative team isn't enthusiastic about? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I wonder if some of them just don't need to. Well, some big do so much, don't have to obviously, do anything because they're yeah, just big like big. their followings are huge. Yeah, like Grant know. Morrison doesn't have to send a tweet about, you know, yeah, whatever. Like, hey, order he's, this. Because he's Grant Morrison, you know, but newer creators you know like some people say oh you're really coming up in the world erica i'm like i'm more like c plus list c c plus uh that means in another five years you'll be getting the best newcomer award after you've had 25 years <laughs> in right yeah exactly after after you've already you know won an eisner 15 years earlier um no i mean i the way i look at it is you need to be passionate about the work that you're doing and True. you need to if, if you're not passionate about it, then some stranger off the street isn't going to care about it. Because if you're not pushing it and you're not saying this is something I, I, I really am proud of, then, you know, why would anybody want to put their time or money into it either? So, I mean, that's what's important. And it's important also on licensed work, you know, because, again, you might not care about the character that they gave you. I mean, I know Dave is a huge Elvira fan. <laughs> But like, um, but if you're assigned a character from a publisher and you don't know anything about the character, you're like, I don't care about this character, then it's going to show. Yeah. You know, you have to be enthusiastic about the book. You have to care about the book, about the characters. Even if you don't think you do, you find something about that character that that resonates with you and then you can sort of go your way. Well, how much extra work is all of this promotion? Because I know you've also got a trailer and <laughs> from just videos I've done with Instagram, like Instagram's formatted one way, YouTube it's formatted another way, widescreen. And so, you know, is there a lot more money going into promotions and social media and, there, you know, hiring editors and whatnot? There is. I do have to say that I worked in advertising for many years. I was an art director and copywriter for ad, an ad agency. And I tend to do a lot of favors for people. So when it comes to me, I, I basically call in all favors. So I called in a favor to one of my husband's best friends from grad school, who's a producer. And she found me somebody to do the voiceover for cheap. Um, Dave called in a favor for his friend who did the music. I called in a favor for another friend to do the sound design. Uh, my husband actually is a television and film editor, so he was able to sort of cut everything together. 
the one thing that I actually regret about the 12 Devils trailer is that I originally wanted to do motion on it. Like, because remember, mm-hmm. I, I don't know if you had ever seen the M3 motion comics. The motion comics, yeah. Mm-hmm. I'd wanted to do motion on the 12 Devils trailer. I just didn't have time to do, I mean, because I went through and I started cutting up all the artwork and getting everything ready, but to actually go and render the animation and stuff, I didn't have time to do it. So the only thing that I did for animation was the, at the end, the the cipher into the, um, into the uh, uh, logo. That was the only thing that, that I had time to do, but I really did want to do like some really cool stuff with it. Um, we'll do, it, uh, we'll do it on 13 Devils Dancing. <laughs> yes exactly 13 devils dancing hey but you know what hey for all we know maybe somebody will pick this up and it'll be a tv show and and that's right the next supernatural the next supernatural and and you know we'll be doing all kinds of crazy promotion and red carpet and oh yeah you're gonna have to get a haircut dave no no deal <laughs> <laughs> oh, but I've just started rewatching Lucifer because I've, you know, we watch Lucifer every single week and, um, and, and you can tell like when there's a shift in the writing mm-hmm. because I'm like, same thing with iZombie. Like there's, I saw somebody else tweeting that they didn't like iZombie now. And I'm like, I like iZombie better than the last season. Um, but like Lucifer to me is like finally getting to where it's supposed to be. And, you know, like back where it started, those first early episodes were so compelling. And then it took this weird turn and now it's like getting back on track. Well, it's like the network's like, hey, let's shake things up. Yeah, exactly. It's like all of a sudden people don't have powers. Now they have powers again. Like, you know, it's just, you know, my mom, when I suppose when you answer to to networks, they're like, okay, we're going to extend it. We're going (laughs) to, you know, we're going to shorten it. No, now everybody dies. And then we have to bring them back. It's, you know, that kind of thing. Like, it's it's got to be a completely different experience than if you're in control of it. Like, you're in control of your comic that that is creator-owned. So if you want to make 12 and then 13 and then 14 Devils Dancing, you can. I, I honestly, I can't go past, like, 12 or 13, like, maybe 18 issues. Because M3 was originally supposed to be 18 issues. And I thought to myself, I was like, I don't even know if I have enough for that. Like just brain wise, mm-hmm. you know, um, it's not that I get bored with characters. It's that I want to move on to something else. Like yeah, I want, I want to have a different experience. And that's why, like one of the reasons why I wanted to do 12 devils is because everybody talks about, um, you know, they pitch you get pigeonholed for writing certain things. So it's like, Oh, you write kick-ass females, Erica. You know, that's, right. that's your gig. You became that. <laughs> yeah, I became that because the first gig that I got outside of M3 was doing the revenge book for Marvel, revenge. which was about a female ninja, mm-hmm. you know, and then a Swords of Sorrow, which I loved, but it was about, I did two books for Swords of Sorrow, one with G. Willow Wilson. It was about, you know, basically four warrior women. So um, I wanted to show that I could write different characters, that I could write a male protagonist but also that I could write horror as opposed to it being just crime or, you know, but that's where my, my books with Claire come in being these like goofy co- comedy. Books. Goofy. Yeah. Yeah. They're fun. And that's, but I did the exact same thing after, you know, after three mystery novels with the same characters, I came out with this like slasher novella. That's like, so not me. 
you know, <laughs> and I'm like, but the protagonist is an old lady. So there you go. That's what makes it such a me thing. Well, you have the the Pharaoh mysteries. Yeah. So that's what, I, you know, so like after, yeah. So after living in the Pharaoh world, you know, I was like, okay, let me try, try to exercise some muscles here and, and delve into horror. And I did it like just as a, as a challenge, because, you know, when I'm hooking up with like the writers club online and stuff, there's so many, you know, I'm like in this, in this group of horror writers, <laughs> because like all my crime writer friends all have their own groups already. <laughs> and so I'm like, okay, well, you know, so I'm always like, hey, Jolene, do you got any more space? <laughs> and, and I end up in the, you know, in the horror club. Um, so I did, I, you know, with Misty Murder and, um, and it was just weird to play around in that thing where I'm like, you know, everything's so, so ridiculous, you know, like these, so like some of the murders, like the murders are just so ridiculous. It's like, you know, I, I know if somebody were to read and go, well, that bridge in Rhode Island, you know, you can't really get up there and throw a person off. And, you know, I'm just like, whatever. You well, know, I'm going to have somebody killed at Comic-Con. Yeah. There was that dude who got uh, who got stabbed in the eye a couple of years ago. At yeah, that's what I mean. Like, you know, weird shit happens. So I did. So I had a you know, I had somebody getting getting murdered at the at a horror fest thing at the convention center in Rhode Island. That was that's the, what happens in uh, Misty Murder. Well, that makes sense. I mean, think about I mean, you had a dude come into a convention armed who was going to kill an actor. You've had mm -hmm. somebody else stab somebody at, uh, at San Diego Comic-Con. I mean, this stuff can happen. This stuff is real. So and plus every other show on TV has has done it. So it's like if they can do it, I can do it. Hell yeah. Who says you can't? You know, Don't at like every show at anything, Amber. You Shake know it. Fist. Like everybody's done a roller derby episode everybody's done you know like urban legends so you know that's another absolutely that's, that's the next comic dave we're gonna do a roller derby comic i'm in do a i'm roller here derby for it comic. are you kidding me i don't know anything about roller derby so neither do i me doesn't neither matter. doesn't matter you learn it yeah. I jersey has teams though yeah we, I, we have teams yeah god i would get my ass kicked so you hard take a deep dive you no. probably like it you'd be good at it probably yeah, I, I'm it, bummed because there was a team like 10 minutes away from me and they moved to a different um, rank like an hour away. I, 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 I did my version of roller derby. I played full contact hockey for a couple of years. So. Yeah, so there you go. So I, I did my I did my roller derby. It's like that, but with less pads. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Trust me. I, I, I took too many sticks to the face. Yikes. So, you know. People, well, I mean, everybody, everybody jokes about, you know, how hockey players have no teeth. That's, I'm so lucky I still have all my teeth. I broke my nose that never got fixed. I have a crooked nose from it, but I, I still have all my teeth, thank God. Well, I think there is a comic about um, the women's hockey team, isn't there? There is, there is a comic out now. Um, I forget what it is, but there is a women's hockey team comic out. Yeah. That I'm probably so if anybody is, is interested... Um, yeah, women's sports do deserve um, more coverage. Hell yeah! So. That when I, I mean, I went to college in Connecticut, and it was not far from uh, from uh, uh, what you call it, the Yukon. And when you would be driving down the highway near the Yukon main campus, it had a sign that said, "Welcome to the University of Connecticut, where men are men and women are champions." Because the Yukon ladies had mm, won nice. the basketball championship like five years in a row. 
Wow. Yeah. That's fantastic. So, I mean, I remember that sign and I just thought it was, it was a chuckle when you see it. Cause you're like, yeah, that's right. Actually the lady Huskies have been kicking some serious ass. So. Well, awesome. I have a roller derby short story that my, my Patreon backers uh, have, have seen, I believe, I believe they've seen it. So, uh, when you get your get a roller derby comic going, we'll compare notes. Let's do it. Mine doesn't have. I mean, I don't have any details of like the game stuff. So it's just like that. There's this is what happens in the you know the girls' lives. It's short. <laughs> you should look to it's put it online short. webtoons. That's like the. Oh uh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, but um, yeah. Now that I'm back in writer's workshop, I should change some of my short stories back to scripts. Um, because it's weird, you know, that when you get used to writing prose and then it's like, oh, comic formats and writing panels again. And I can't write prose out- to save my life. I, I give you guys plenty of credit. I, I need people like Dave. <laughs> I wish I was better. I'm always wishing that I was better, but that's probably a good thing to, you know, strive for improvement. When I read like a really good book, I start highlighting passages and I'm like, man, the way she just described this person, like it could be something like them eating, you know, a a meal and everything is described so well. I'm like, damn, (laughs) I hope I can do that. Yeah, not not me. Can't. It's too much. I can't do NaNoWriMo. Well, you artists have Inktober. Do you do Inktober, Dave? I'm always too busy working. I don't know how these artists have all this. <laughs> do Inktober. Yeah, you're going to do some free Inktober's work. Inktober's great. Yeah, okay, you got all this time? No, I'm a father of three. I don't, yeah. <laughs> when I'm not drawing comics, I'm you know, wrangling children yeah. and yeah, giant I'm, dogs. Yeah. I've been drawing this whole time. You, Are you kidding me? <laughs> I know. I've actually been, I've actually been working on a, on a sticker design, actually, while we've been talking. Yeah. That's no. great. Yeah, so let me I will I will let you guys go because um, we've uh, talked uh, for so much so long and I, I love that you have that much to say and share. Um, but I also remind everybody Xena and Elvira, you know, so it's not just 12 Devils Dancing, exactly. there's other things to, to pick up. Um, tell people where they can follow you so they can, you know, get your announcements and cat pictures and labradoodles <laughs> and whatever. Dave, after you. Um. I'm Dave Draws Good on all media platforms, Instagram, Twitter, uh, Tumblr. Uh, yeah, I post a lot of artwork and other dumb observations. Very nice. I don't tumble, so I'm only on uh, Twitter and Instagram. My Instagram is Erica Schultz Writes, and it's 98% photos of my cat, Simon. Um, right. And my uh, Twitter is Erica Schultz 42 and it's 88% photos of my cat, Simon. <laughs> and then we start comparing, you know, our cats like talking to each other, like through Instagram. Yes. It's like, well, Gus says this and Simon says this. Well, actually, um, Adriana Mello has uh, a cat named Luna. And w- Adriana and I have discussed Simon and Luna having this um, long distance relationship because Adriana's in, in Brazil. And uh, I've shown Simon photos of Luna, and he's rubbed his face all over my my phone as I show him the photos. So I mean, it's for me, it's love. That is so sweet. Yeah, that's so sweet. Do, all right. Does she have an Instagram with her cat? Uh, Adrian um, Adriana Mello's Instagram is, I believe, Adriana underscore Mello, and there are okay. pictures of Luna there. But she also has them okay. on on Twitter as well. And Luna, the reason why I love Luna is because she reminds me of the 
beautiful blue point Siamese Isis that I grew up with, but you can't say the name Isis anymore because people are idiots. <laughs> yes, I understand. I know it used to be a, a common cat name. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Cat absolutely. Was, cat was Isis. I know. Yeah. So it was great. Well, I know. I know there's pressure on you to uh, to write Hawk Girl someday, but oh, my like God. you said, play, that play be, in sandboxes. That would be actually. You know, I got my eight pages. And, or correction, I wrote more than eight pages, but we they published eight pages, and that was huge for me. I would love, Sonny and I have talked about it. We would love to keep the story going. We'd love to. And I, I know there's a lot of people that really do want to, to bring that story back. Um, if it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, you know, I at least got the eight pages that I did, and Sonny sent me two of them, so I have two beautiful pages framed. So. Oh, that's sweet. Yeah. Dave's going to be selling all, right. all the horror photo, the, all the horror pages at uh, Motor City. <laughs> it's funny to think of somebody buying some of these pages. Like, I wouldn't, I would not sell them. I'd be like, no, you're a creep. You want this page? Get out of here. Yeah, like, why exactly yeah, do you want here. this? <laughs> Dude, make the money where you can make it. You got three kids and a dog. Yeah, that's true. I'll, I'll sell anything. Yeah. I'm, I've got no Yeah, because I've heard some of some of the bizarre requests that artists get, and they'll be like, I'll draw it, but I won't put my name on it kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, there's been a, yeah. a few where I'm just like, no. <laughs> Did you get the guy yeah. who asked who who asked about Rogue and Sauron in the, uh, uh, in the, the Savage Land? Did you get that guy? I did. You did? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. So now I know four artists who got him. I, well, oh, boy. I didn't go through with it. Let me say that. Oh, no, no, no. Neither did these other artists. But okay. <laughs> now, I know, now I know four artists who've gotten him. Yeah. And, yeah, okay. We all, yeah. You know, they, there's a, there's they, a lot of notorious dudes that we all talk about. Yeah. There's and But their money is still money. Money's, money's green. And I'll draw, Mo- yeah, I'll draw lots of stuff. Yeah. All right. Well, you guys, uh, hopefully people will come find you in the Net Motor City. Yes. Yeah. Um, and uh, wherever else you're going to be. So I'm sure you'll be announcing that on your You got more cons Twitters. coming up, Erica? I've got a free comic book day at the comic book shop in Wilmington, Delaware. Then we have Motor City Comic Con. And then I've got a bunch of signings for Where We Live that's coming out uh, May 30th right. from Image. Uh, yes, that's right. I meant to ask you about that. I'm glad you brought it up. Um, that was the, uh, was that the Pulse? Shooting? No, that was, uh, that, that was, was love, love. That was love is uh, love. Where yeah. we live is a was an anthology for the Las Vegas shooting. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And I have yeah. uh, an autobiographical story with Liana Kangas in it. So I'm a little nervous about people seeing that because uh, if anybody's ever read any of my blog posts about my dad, it's a very interesting story. Uh, sadly, autobiographical. <laughs> So. All right. Well, I look forward to it. So congrats on, on doing that because, um, well, I, you know, on any of those anthologies, it's like people, you know, put a, a shout out like, hey, let's, you know, let's do a charity project. And, you know, next thing you know, there's a thousand comic creators trying to get in on it and you don't always get in. So. Yeah, I was I was very lucky that when I was asked to do it, I was, you know, I figured, hey, this is. If there's anything that has a good, um, that that I ha- would have something meaningful to say, it would be this anthology. Good, yeah, because I got into the the comics against bullying, which you were mm-hmm. also in. Um, 
So, Dave, do you get to do, do you have time to do charity projects or do you, can you only take paid work at this point? No, I, I did do the Love is Love anthology with um, okay. my Elvira partner, uh, David Avaloni. And that was really cool. Okay. Yeah. It's, 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 it feels good to be able to do something that's going to like help victims of things, but also just keep the dialogue out there, you know, and to just make people think about these issues. Right. So even, you know, even if it's five years from, from now or 10 years from yeah. now, it's, those stories are just going to resonate. Yeah. All right, guys. Thank you so much for all of this time. Thank you for and having information. us. Yeah, thank you. My pleasure. Um, you guys can follow me on Twitter at Elizabeth Amber and on Instagram at Amber Unmasked and at Patreon. You can support me at patreon.com slash Amber Unmasked and keep up with the adventures with Gus. Ridiculous stories of my cat and digging up bones and things in the woods. Um, <laughs> it's getting good. It's getting. We are approaching the one year mark. So uh, after, a, you know, one full year, I'm going to put put the stories together in a more readable format. That's what I've been working on this month is trying to get them into a single document format instead of just the blog posts. So so look for news on that. Um, and I will actually not be going out for free comic book day because I'm going to go spend some time with a friend. So um, it will be an interesting free comic book day for me. But uh, totally different. Totally different. No spandex for me this year. <laughs> <laughs> um, otherwise, 